This podcast is brought to you by our partners at 8 Star Energy. 8 Star Energy, a clean energy company, leading the future of portable and renewable energy. To find out more, follow them on Facebook at 8 Star Energy. I want attacking purpose for football all the time. Now we've got our backs against the wall and we're going to fight and we're going to fight hard. You've got to show me all the guts and all the determination you've got in your body. You've got to inspire me. A marvellous kick. That's as good as you'll ever see. And puts Graham back in front. I don't know about you guys, but if I see one bloke walk out of here, give the paddle back from people out there for a good effort, I'll spill up. From inside the centre square, boys kick the goal. Boys kick the goal from inside the centre. <laughs> Hey, welcome to a special lockdown edition of Danny Boyd, a podcast about the greatest football club in the known universe. I'm Danny McGinley, and with me, as always, is the other half of the show, the man with the 241st most games played for the Bulldogs, Tom Boyd. Mate, it's great to be here. Better late than never, I say, but, you know, the show must go on, whether it's virtually or not. It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here with a extraordinarily special guest today, one of the most accomplished AFLW players I've ever seen. I did a bit of research last night and we've got Western Bulldogs captain, uh, premiership player, premiership captain, games record holder, leading goal kicker, best captain in the league, two best and fairest, three times All-Australian. Have you done anything else, Ali? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, nice little intro there. I uh, do appreciate it. It's nice. <laughs> It's a bit, uh, it, you feel a bit insecure uh, reading Ellie's bio, don't you, Tom? Well, I, I always get like lauded, obviously, because of the premiership in 2016. But other than that, I think I've got like rising star nominee. And then everything else that happened that was good in my career happened before I got drafted. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit underwhelming compared to Ellie's uh, credentials. Hey, that's all right. Hey, Ellie, did you ever get rising star? No, I never got rising star. Yes. There we so. go. You beat me. <laughs> you win, I think. No, not quite, not quite. How how are you? How's things? You're um you're obviously you're in Melbourne at the moment, locked up as we are we all are. But um what's what's going on in your world at the moment, Ellie? Yeah, just working from home, um, like like most people probably are at the moment. So um at least, you know, I'm very grateful that I can still work and, and do all that. Um we're in our off season, but with the season being brought forward a bit earlier we're starting training and all that now um from home so keeping myself busy running gymming um love hopping in uh the lycra and going for a bit of a bike ride so yeah got plenty to do at the moment um all from home though which is good what is your day job i work with the pancake parlor actually so <laughs> um, so you're just making great. pancakes throwing them out delivering to people what is this oh, what are you doing no, I work with our uh, HR team there, so they're great. Love working with them. Um, you know, big shout out to the Pancake Parlor. If uh, you're ever in need, go down and, and get a short stack or whatever your favourites are the, um, from the menu. I love the, the pa- raspberry and rhubarb. The Pancake Parlor are a sponsor of the dogs. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, so yep. what are the? Do you actually work for them? Is this like Chris Judd working for Busy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually do work. I, you know, to be completely honest, I actually love that. I mean, I know they're a sponsor of the football club, but they're completely non-football related. 
Um, so I love that I'm able to work outside of football and, and have a career path um, away from the football field. Do you know what I love at the pancake parlor? How you know you got your pancake stuff, but then they do proper meals, but they always just throw a pancake in there just <laughs> yeah. to sort of justify you. How often are you eating a steak and you go, man, I, I wish there was a pancake with this. <laughs> it's a great little twist to it, isn't it? I love it. Yeah, it used to be one of my favorite pastimes, Danny, when uh, we'd go and watch a movie at Hoyts back when cinemas were open and uh, at Eastland, yeah. and we'd always wander out after a movie when I was like ten or twelve, and there'd be a pancake parlor. We'd sneak in there for like pancake and some hash brown and like bacon at nine o'clock at night it was, it was pretty good yeah so there's that at eastland as well because i'm an i'm a northland boy and uh very much you go it, the pancake parlor's right nick you got the, the top level it's movies time zone pancakes it's it's pretty much heaven same same situation at eastland mate ellie you grew up around like uh your berwick is that right yeah so uh endeavor hills um okay would yep. give them a, a shout out instead uh but the Fountain Gate restaurant for me. Um, <laughs> they've got the village village cinemas, not the Hoyts, though. Oh, so fight, 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 fight. Controversial there, but would go there and um, indulge in pancakes myself as well. What was so, the last movie you both saw at the cinema? Oh, oh, that's a great question. I don't know. When I was at the Giants, we used to get half price movie tickets at um, it was event cinemas up there. I reckon I watched yeah. every single movie that came out for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. When I lived in London, They, the, you could buy a season pass to, you know, the Hoyts equivalent over there and it was like £100 and I just did it on the first day. I literally, and, and my, my the lady who's now my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, she got one as well. We were arguing over the opening scene of some movie we'd seen. I think it was X-Men 3. <laughs> so much so, we were able to just go, right, let's settle this. We just looked up. When was it next on? It was 45 minutes. Walked in, watched the first scene just to see who was right and then walked out again. <laughs> It's living, isn't it? It's living. Why? Straight to the pancake parlor. <laughs> I can't actually remember the last one I saw, honestly. Who knows? Who know- and who knows when we're going to be Mine watching was- one again? Oh, yeah, it'll be ages. Mine was uh, Sean the Sheep. Uh, <laughs> Sean the Sheep, I think it was the, the subtitle was Farmageddon. Uh, oh, it was epic. It's <laughs> uh, probably indicative Sounds of like where you're at in your life, Danny, I think. Oh, yeah, no, the kids weren't there. I was just uh, keen to see it. <laughs> I was hoping it was a sequel to Armageddon. I, thought, I hope Bruce Willis was going to blow up the farm. Now, we probably should talk about footy at some stage. It's been a pretty uh, – it hasn't I been a good week in Melbourne. Oh, well, we lost on the weekend and now we're locked up. Um, what's what, what's going on, Danny? What, what have we got going on at the Bulldogs? You watch the game on the weekend? I did watch the game. Um, my theory, I blame it all on the no crowds yeah, uh, because <clears throat> I know the Bulldogs aren't the team, you know, we've, we're, we're living in a glass house to be throwing stones at Melbourne for being used to no crowds. <laughs> but when we, you know, when we have our small crowds, at least we're playing for the men, they're playing at Docklands, which is, you know, there's still the, the crowds are pretty close and it can, and you know, if the roofs yeah. close, you still get that noise going around. Whereas they play at the MCG, which, you know, I'm, by the way, I'm very, uh, I've given very i get very protective of Docklands. you get people like uh you know dimmer uh saying oh this place so like hey the mcg is a bit of a soulless graveyard yeah. as well so i like Docklands, and and so you know melbourne would be used to that having you know no crowd around and i think it spooked our players elliot how, ma- how many games have you played with no crowds oh um well a lot of the junior footy or despite saying that you probably have mum and dad in the crowd yeah. so <laughs> we'll take that we um we played one game last year with no with no crowds, yeah, last game of the season against Frio. And that was at Witten, actually. Um, and it's it's a bit of an eerie feeling 
having no one there, but you can probably hear the players more um, communicate a little bit better with one another, which probably helps. Um, and we found it extremely beneficial for us. But in terms of having crowds at games, I think it's an added bonus, especially if you have momentum on your side. It's definitely beneficial. Apologise, there's a dog in the background. No worries. Is, is that is that was it interesting too? Do you think because you're playing at Witten, you're at your home ground. You know the place as well as anyone else in the comp- better than anyone else in the competition. I mean, I never got to play without any crowds, but I imagine at least if you were at Whitney, you'd probably feel a little bit more at home than perhaps Freo did. Oh, absolutely, you did. You felt like you definitely had a, a home ground advantage, regardless of of the crowd being there or not. So, yeah, I mean, it's a it was definitely a weird feeling not mm. having anyone in the grandstand cheering for you. I um. I much prefer crowds. I love having people there watching and, and cheering and getting behind you regardless of the result at the end of the day. And don't you use the crowd as like a gauge of like how much pressure there is? Like if there's a, you know, if there's a, an, op- an opponent trying to run you down, you've got the crowd screaming and stuff. That would be very weird to be taken away, surely. I don't know if that helps no. or not, to be <laughs> I don't honest. Think that helps at all. <laughs> oh, really? If the crowd's yelling at you, it's already too late. It's my experience. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. You either think they're behind you thinking, geez, you've got so much space, like keep running and go and slot a goal or something, or it could go the other way where you've got someone about to tackle you. So you don't really know, um, to be honest. All right. Well, there's my theory out the window. You guys tell me. Why did the men stuff it up then? I don't know. They just got jumped, I think. Um, I always tell people, I actually, I was walking home past a, a neighbor's house the other day and I just started getting abused about like, wow, what's going on with the what's going on with the dogs? You know, they've lost to two teams. We're just not good enough. I said, mate, we're nine and two, second on the ladder. I think we'll be just fine. I think we'll be just fine. So look, it was a long season ago. I actually really feel for the competition at the moment because you know the uncertainty is pretty high. Uh, players are getting shuffled around, and I think. Look, like the same feeling, the same emotions that we all are, which is that let's hope we're, we're all sitting here hoping that one week doesn't turn into two, doesn't turn into a month, doesn't turn into two months. And they're all basically being thrown around on the road. So, um, yeah, or well, hopefully they all manage to get through the next little period reasonably well. It is a good point. Yeah. Uh, and so, Ellie, what, you'd say you're going into preseason now. Do you, do you get, did you play in the VFLW this year or are you just strictly AFL now? Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to play in the VFLW at all. Um, sort of at the end of the AFLW season, I was probably a bit battered and bruised and somewhat crawled over the finish line. So I wanted to get my body right and, and have no contact um, for a period of time. And th- with the VFLW season, it's actually sort of been brought forward. So I think we're about to enter the, la- the second last round this week um with it all so or maybe the last round actually not too sure but um heading into final so I didn't get a chance to to play at all but hopefully uh we can get get back out there and the girls can finish off the season because I think we're a, a real chance to make finals here if we win these last couple of games and is it you played for Melbourne Uni before that were you, were you weren't you playing for Melbourne Uni before the VFLW started when there was just an AFLW for that couple of seasons were you then going straight into Melbourne Uni yeah, yeah, played for Melbourne Uni for the first couple of seasons of like in between AFLW, you'd go back and, and play with them, um, which was great. It was a little bit weird because you kind of all played together at Melbourne Uni and then when the AFLW season started, you all separated and then came back together. It was a it was a bit of an odd setup 
um, to start off with, at least now you can align with um, your AFLW club's VFL team, so which uh, makes sense, to be honest. Uh, but it was great. Love playing at Melbourne Uni. A great football club there and some really great people. So, Ali, tell us a little bit about the journey of um, the AFLW from the first season to now. I mean, how much has it changed? I mean, from a peripheral point of view, I remember vividly seeing the sort of seriousness ramp up, the amount of exposure at the games and the training session, the crowds becoming bigger, and it obviously becoming a core staple of the AFL community as a whole. What's what's the most significant changes you've seen over the last four, four or five years? Obviously, the, the, the standard of the competition has um, grown a fair bit. You can see probably looking at stat lines, the scores um, have definitely improved. Um, and I think the, the game itself is uh, a lot better. You can have the ability to kind of, you know, see more plays f- fall into place, um, you know, players are, are developing in positions and you can follow them, uh, which is great. Um, and there's, you know, the ability to, I guess, grow with teams now. So I think that's changed a fair bit. The The support around AFLW is, has extremely changed and a lot of that comes from the players doing a lot in the off-season and, you know, without getting a – an extra pay for it um, in this time of the year. The players are extremely committed to to making sure the competition grows. I think that's a real big change in the mindset of of everyone, um, you know, and, and you're seeing the benefits of it now. And I think further to that, I guess the access to clubs, you know, better training facilities are, are being provided. Um, the standard coming through the under-18 competition has definitely improved uh, with those younger girls coming through. We've got some great young talents on our list. Um, Gabby Newton, we've got Jess Fitzgerald, um, Sarah Hartwig, uh, just to name a few of these younger girls. Um, Izzy Huntington's still pretty young herself. So, you know, these girls coming through the system now have, have definitely improved and I think that's growing the competition a bit more naturally and we're only going to see it evolve in years to come, more games, more training, um, more time committed to to what we're doing um, is only going to be more helpful and and we're just only going to get better. Ellie, is it weird to think that you're regarded as like the older player when you're only 26, for God's sake? Yeah, I, I get it a fair bit, actually. Um, a, a veteran of the game comment to me and I, I don't know whether – to feel good about it or feel offended, like it's good that people think i am been around for a while and a, a bit of an old head amongst the footy club, but then it's like don't age me at the same time. Um, <laughs> I'm 26, like just let me be. Um, so, no, I, I, I mean I'm, I'm slowly becoming, yeah, one of the uh, older players. I don't think I'm, I'm far off actually being one of the um, – I'm in the top five or so. So we've got a very young list, so um, makes a bit more sense to to be called a veteran there. If it, if it makes you feel better, Ali, the way I look at it, with the sheer amount of accomplishments you have, it's something like the way that Bont gets considered as an older person because Bont is actually younger than me, but he's always considered sort of a veteran of the game because he's been so consistent and so um, outrageously talented with his performances. And I think much to the same, it's it's basically the fact that you've accomplished so much in such a short amount of time that people would consider you old. Now, if they start calling you fossil, that's when you know you are. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when Grant I start taking offence to it. 
that's it. That's the one where you get um, you get a little bit defensive. I remember Daniel G and Syracuse used to get used to get called that by Jared Grant, and the look on his face so livid. One of the funniest parts of my first couple of years at the Bulldogs. Well, I think in the women's they tend to call them mum. Isn't that what you used to call Nikki Callanan? Yeah, we did, but for a variety <laughs> of reasons for Nikki Cal though, she um would like she'd be like you know when you just need your mum at at times and um you know, for whatever it may need, like you just go to them and they have something there. Like Nikki Cal would always have like all your medical supplies if you needed a spare hair tie, um, you know, just someone to go to for advice or a hug or um, whatever it may be. She offered so much more than just being like the older person of the group. I think it did add value, her being one of the older girls, um, the the mum nickname, but it was a much more to it than just uh an age factor with her. I'm friends with uh, Nikki and I did ask if there's any uh, insider info on you and she was, uh, this is a difference between uh, male and female players. Most of the, uh, if I ask, uh, if I'm interviewing a male player before a game, I might ask some of the teammates, what do you got? And they'll just send me some horrific stuff to slag them. <laughs> Whereas she just goes, oh, I love my pup Skip. Ask her about her wakeboarding surfing at Echuca because she's pretty good at it, but I don't, th- I think she's too <laughs> humble to say how good she is. She's thrown me under the bus here with it too. <laughs> Yeah, um, I enjoy it a little bit. I'm not great at it by any means, um, so I think that's a that's a bit of a wind up from her. I do enjoy going behind the back of the boat and and all that. Um, more the the surfing side of things. Um, wakeboarding, I just kind of hold on for dear life. I've face planted a couple of times um, with it, and skiing, I get a bit wobbly on the back leg, but. No, when I when it comes to the surfing side of things, I enjoy that a fair bit. But yeah, I'm not I'm not great at it, but I do enjoy it. Yeah. Now, Ali, I being a bit of a surfer myself, not that I proclaim to be anything but just an average surfer, but I don't believe there's any surf in Endeavour Hills. So where did that start for you? <laughs> there is no surf in Endeavour Hills, actually. Um, well, it's more behind the the back of the boat that you can kind of create the the bit of a wake there and jump in that. It's probably grown over the last handful of years, um, heading to Echuca a bit often over um, sort of holiday periods and public holidays and all that, uh, which is great, which is really good fun down there and and being able to dive into that. But as youngsters, we used to um, holiday down at the beach a fair bit. So uh, used to always go down there and, and surf and boogie board and get knocked over and thrown under waves quite a fair bit. But my brother still surfs quite regularly, actually. So it's definitely uh, somewhere in the Which blood. Which beach is that, Ellie? Which beach is that that you spent you, you spent your childhood at? I uh, we went down to Rye a fair bit, so went to the um, Gunnamatta at the back, um, which was a bit grueling and pretty hard to kind of catch waves there for me. Um, gets quite big out there, out the back there. I'd rather just sort of sit on the foreshore of Rye and probably prefer to sit there most times. Okay, let's get back to the footy then, you. You crazy kids. Uh, Ellie, I want to know, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of got to go straight into the hard questions here because we don't know when the internet's going to cut out again <laughs> and stuff. When when you started, you had, we had such, I mean, of the you look at the premiership side, uh, we had, you know, great players like Emma Carney, you know, Katie, of course, was the uh, was the nominally the captain. You were the real captain. We all know you lifted the cup. Um, Monique <laughs> Conti and stuff. Which, does it hurt that they've all left? Which which of those teammates were you most sad to see go? And which clubs have tried to poach you? 
That's what I want to know. Oh, <laughs> um, I won't answer the latter. Um, <laughs> my bulldog. We'll just assume through. all of them. Yeah, yeah. Name them all. Oh, a variety of them hurt, to be honest, um, and for different reasons, as and for different reasons as well. Um, you know, I think Carney and I had played a lot of footy together, so that was hard for me um, when she left because um, she's a, a great teammate and a really good friend of mine. So um, was obviously saddened to see her go, and along with Jenna Bruton to to North Melbourne, there they're. Um, you know, such great midfielders and, and great valuable teammates to have. So I missed having um, those two in my side. Um, would have them back um, if they'd like to. Uh, <laughs> trade period at the moment going. So if you get this out soon enough, they'll be able to hear it and can potentially come across. Um, <laughs> good there. I'm pretty sure most, yeah, most of the AFLW players make their career choices based on a podcast. Yeah, that is I accurate. So. I think so, especially <laughs> this one too, guys. Um, and then, you know, the, different players for different reasons, to be honest. Like um, Astor O'Connor left. She was a really good um, friend of mine and someone who I got along really well with and had a lot of respect for, um, I guess, in more recent times. We've, we've lost players like Ash Mack who went over the West Coast um, and things like that. So, you know, different pl- players have left. And um, I think Tiana Ernst is actually another one I could probably add to that list is, is a player that I really do miss um, having around. She um, is such a, like, knowledgeable person to have. Um, she's a doctor and just ha- has so many accreditations off the field that you just kind of listen to in awe um, with her. So, but, I mean, we've lost so many, um, you know, through a variety of trade and expansion and all that, um, but they all left for a certain reason, um, whatever it may be for them personally. And, um, you know, I definitely made peace with that and was okay with those reasons. Um, you know, I was glad that, you know, when people communicated with me and let me know um, and really respected that from there and as well. But I feel like at the moment we've got a really solid list. We've got some really good young talent coming through um, and we've got some older players um, that aren't actually that old on our list as well that still have plenty of footy left to go. <laughs> uh, myself and Kirsty Lamb probably uh, slot into that category as well. <laughs> um, and, you know, hopefully we can pick up a couple of uh, good players in the in the trade and in the, in the draft as well to add value to our team. So, I mean, I think it's a really exciting time for us and, and we're pretty keen to, to win a couple of premierships by 2025 if uh, that's our goal, to be honest. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, that, that's – Another question I wanted to know, like it does seem we're, we're really building something special. Are we going to um, – how, how far away are we? Are we going to inch up, you know, like make finals next year and then win a couple of finals the year after and then win a flag? Or are we going to have like, the, like the, the men in 2015 just have this breakout year and go bang all the way and then be, you know, winning, winning silverware in the next couple of years? Well, hopefully we can uh, – well, not hopefully. I'm, I'm really confident in what we're developing, to be honest. Um, yes, yes. We drew a lot this year as a team as well. I think from the year before we had only won one game and this year we, we go on to win five and um, just fall short of finals. I think it was um, great growth in our group. And I think moving forward, um, we definitely want to win two by 25, whether we do it in the next two years or the last two years of that goal. Um, you know, that's sort of 
up to us as a playing group how much we want to commit and how much we want to improve and um, hold ourselves accountable to it. Um, we'll be relying on that stuff. But, you know, we're pretty keen to do it. Um, very passionate group. We love playing with one another and um, we've got a, a really great list that probably still has a couple of years to develop. But, I mean, there's no reason why we can't do it in the next couple. I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, I'm really interested and I, and I think an invaluable insight for a lot of people is just how much work really does go into the lead up to a season. Uh, what's the next few months look like leading into um, the season 2021, 2022? What's the, um, what's the timetable looking like for the, uh, the team and the, and the squad more broadly? I guess at the moment, um, in terms of a training point of view, I think the players are working on some areas that they felt like they needed to really improve on from last year. So everyone's kind of working on their own uh, IDPs and um, working through that throughout this next couple of wait, months. Wait, wait, wait. What's an IDP? What's an IDP? They're individual <laughs> development plans. Um, so, okay, thank you. Uh, they can work through that throughout this um, next period of time and, um, you know, really hone in on some skills that they felt like they needed to improve on from last year and add some others into that. And then I think after we we start in probably I think it's the first week in September we start our preseason. So I think from there it's, you know, fitness levels are extremely important, especially knowing that we're going to be playing in the heart of summer. So we want to make sure that we're able to kind of cross and run and be able to kind of hold ourselves fit in the last quarter um, and be able to finish off a game strongly. So um, that that's a big element to it. But I guess for me personally as well, um, I'll, I'll work pretty closely with the leadership group and uh, with Berkey and, and Deb and um, a few others in making sure that we can sort of make ourselves right as a leadership perspective and, you know, put out some expectations uh, for the group and um, start sort of dropping those plans into place in the in the coming months and, and work from there and the lead up to the season. I guess round one's in early December, so we've got to be good to go by then. So lots of training in between and um, development off the field. Does it annoy you that you will miss Christmas? <laughs> well, we actually have that week off, so um, we don't necessarily. Yeah, but you can't like you can't get you know do you can't drink half a slab and gorge yourself turkey. on turkey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's. I mean, can you? I mean, can you claim that as like a protein hit? <laughs> I don't know. You probably could. Um, I actually don't like do I I mean I do enjoy a, a, the occasional beverage in the off season um, but when it hits pre-season I actually stop drinking throughout until the end of our season so just trying to do everything you can to um, keep yourself fit and you know little little things that help along the way um, and then Christmas day for me um, I actually enjoy training on on Christmas day but I don't know what will what the plan would be um, if we'd actually have to train as a group um, because it is a Saturday um, this year. So I don't know what it will look like for us. Wouldn't mind. I do enjoy Christmas lunch though. Love sitting down with the family and all that um, and enjoying, yeah, the the big feast that, that comes about from it. So I don't know. I might have to watch myself this year. We'll see. I haven't really uh, thought that far ahead to be honest. <laughs> Planted the seed I, I mean, for me though. Uh, I'm interested, Ali, in the um, and I think a lot of people would be interested in just how much detail the the off season entails. When you mentioned the individual development plan, you know, what does that sort of entail for you? Perhaps does it involve fitness levels? Does it involve 
strength and conditioning? Is it more about skill acquisition, um, certain training sessions? And, and obviously within the skill component of the game, it's difficult to replicate that without the help of either teammates or coaches. Um, what does that sort of detailed plan really entail for, for an AFL W player? Yeah, you're right. It is hard to do it without sort of being at training itself. Um, so you try and replicate drills that you might do that might help, um, whether it's on your own or with one other teammate or a family member or a friend that lives within the five-kilometre radius at the moment um, that you can do those types of things with. But I guess in it is probably a couple of skills that you might want to improve on um, in the off-season. So I think for me, um, I a couple of things I've got down is my kicking consistency. I felt like early on in in the season I was um, pretty sharp with my kicking, was able to hit targets um, and then sort of as the season went on, kind of faded away in that area and, and wasn't as um, consistent as the season went on. So that for me is something I want to improve on. So doing things like putting myself under pressure while kicking, whether it's making a quick decision on the run, having someone chase after me and having to hit a target, drills like that definitely help. Um, the fitness component, I think, is a generalised one. I think everyone has to improve on that and whether it could be like a speed thing that you add into it as well. Um, I definitely want to add in a bit more yeah, power. Hang on. I want to I stop you there, Ellie. How do you improve speed? Like <laughs> like just to a, to a muggle like me, that seems like, you know, I can run as fast as I can in sprinting. I don't see how you can improve that. Like that seems like a, a set limit, surely, to your physical <laughs> capabilities. What, what do you do? I guess repetitive efforts um, definitely help. Um, working on different running techniques is something that I'm working on at the moment. Uh, I know for me I probably have a wacky running technique and sort of waddle my arms side to side. So um, sort of streamlining that a little bit helps. So you can you can improve it by doing little things here and there, um, your technique, your posture, um, and just repetitive efforts and getting better at it. And different drills definitely help um, to come into the mix of that stuff. For, for you, Danny, my advice would be you need to get fitter first because you can't run fast <laughs> if you're not fit. And then if you lose okay. a bit of weight, it actually gets it also helps. And if you put on a bit of muscle, it helps even more. So you know, oh, here we go. You, you don't have long hair, so you should be able to be pretty streamlined. <laughs> so there's my four bits of advice for you. Are you so? Are you saying if I? So all right. So gain a bit of muscle, uh, do a bit of do you know lose a bit of weight, work on my running techniques. I could I could play AFLW this year. Sure. <laughs> I might be past the use-by date for your best athletic performances, Danny, unfortunately. Oh, well. Okay. Well, they cancel that. Cancel. Tell, tell Berkey I'm not playing then. Sorry, Ellie. <laughs> I'll let him know. Um, what is the first day of preseason like? Because I've heard horror stories like uh, you, you get there, the first thing they do is a skinfold test, and then they tell you to run a lap, and if you don't get a PB, you, you know, you, you're dropped. Well, it's definitely not that uh, grueling for us which is great. Um, uh, it tends to be sort of a bit of an intro to what the expectations are of the the start of, of pre-season and what we aim to to get out of it and um, tends to fall into a, like a 2K time trial, which sounds horrific and like yes, it does. during it, it isn't fun by any means, but it's what, eight or so minutes um, of just gruelling pain and then after that you can go and do the fun stuff and kick a football around so um yeah that's probably normally what it um entails but it's 
it's always an exciting day. Like I love day one of preseason. I love being able to walk into the football club again and knowing that you're back and you're, you know, working towards a premiership and, you know, being able to be around your mates and, and all that. It's always a, a fun time and very exciting. Do you agree with that, uh, Boydie? Was was your first day of preseason? Uh, <laughs> enjoyment, enjoyment, maybe more like <laughs> angst, anxiety, <laughs> dread. And then by day three, I'm like loving, but I was loving being there. Like everyone always told me, oh, preseason is the hardest part of the year. I actually always enjoyed preseason the most. You know, you're fit, you're healthy, you got a tan. That's always nice. Um, yeah, it's a you're good not part sore to it. from the games. Like, yeah. And and then it's like it's like piecing together pe- uh, people with like bandages and band aids for the rest of the season, trying to like stick everything together and make sure. And I, I, like as Ali alluded to earlier, I mean, most players at the top level they limp across the finish line for the vast majority of the time. And by the end of the year, you're sort of just like, oh, it's all over. That knee that's been troubling me every week, and or the ankle, or the finger, or the hand, or whatever it is. I can finally give it the the TLC that it needs. So preseason's not all bad, but I certainly don't have the same feelings about the first day. I never enjoyed the running campaign. Ellie, I think you've you've done very well. For those you, for the listeners can probably tell we're we're doing this online. We're having a lot of technical issues, but something you've done quite well, Ellie, is uh, even when you're not sure if we're asking you a question, you're just keeping going with the answer. I don't know if that's media training. Or, or what, but you're, you're doing, you're giving us a lot of sound bites and everything. Um, are you, have you been trained in that? Like, I know you're doing some work with uh, Fox Footy and stuff. Uh, have you been practicing or are you just a, a natural uh, performer? I, I won't say it was natural by any means. I've done it for a few years now. And I remember my first time um, sitting on the boundary. Um, in the commentary and I was just shaking like no tomorrow. It was the most nerve-wracking thing. I was like, oh, don't stuff up, don't stuff up. I couldn't even remember <laughs> what I was meant to say after time, just making things up and making no sense whatsoever. Um, and then saying, you know, when it comes to like public speaking and all that, I remember my first time doing that. I was standing in, um, what do you call the thing that you hold on to? Front A left turn? Yeah, that will do. Yeah. Um, and you just, I was shaking it. I was that nervous, um, standing up there, but I guess since then, um, I mean, I've, I've failed many times, um, doing it, made many mistakes and will probably continue to make many mistakes in, uh, the media side of things, but feel like I've slowly improved, um, not by any sort of proper training by any means, but just practice, I guess. Oh, mate, you're nailing it. You're nailing it. All right. Yeah. Well, before, I must before say, you, you are you are terrifically well spoken, and you can see why you're a leader of the club. And you know, their on field performance is one thing, but the ability to carry yourself is is obviously something that counts significantly. And you you do so very very well. I must say. Ah, oh, thank you. You can't take compliments very well though. No, I suck <laughs> at it. I do suck at it. <laughs> All right, Danny, are we going to go into some fan questions? or We are got some fan questions. I do have one last one just for Elliot, a sort of topical one, just on being able to talk to media and stuff after games. Like often you're the one there, uh, you know, with a mic shoved into your face at halftime as you're probably exhausted and wanting to get into the rooms to, to you know, have a, have a break. Um, what have you... 
Have you Naomi Osaka this week has uh, really brought to life the the pressures of that sort of fifth quarter and having to talk to the media and stuff. And obviously, Tom, you've had your uh, you you would have a, a, an opinion on this. Um, do you you get some people saying, well, you know, it's part of the job. You've got to be able to. Um, you know, talk to the media and whereas other people are going, well, yeah, you, but you've also got to take care of your mental health. Have you watched Naomi this week and, uh, and, and felt for her? Or are you also just going, hey, mate, you play tennis. Come on, play a real sport. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Definitely not my point of view um, in that one. Yeah, I, I think it offers some perspective to, to people what it is like from an athlete's point of view. I mean, by no means the media I cop is anything like that. To be honest, I've been really fortunate in that space. Um, when it comes to when it comes to media, I haven't been on the on the wrong side of it. Touch wood, it it doesn't happen. Um, but I guess it, it would be extremely hard. You know, I don't ha- necessarily have to get interviewed after a, a grueling loss after playing tennis for for hours. So I can understand her point of view with it, and I understand that um, it it can be hard on their mental health. Um, or any athlete's mental health when having to do an interview post-game and the pressures that come with it, especially some of the questions that get asked. And, you know, you're, you're answering the same generic questions over and over again and it, I'm sure it can be tiring. <laughs> yeah, we saw, I mean, we saw Bevo sort of uh, <laughs> losing his cool the other week of, uh, you know, they're asking constantly about Jamara and he said, well, did you see my statement the other day? And the journal say no, it must be very frustrating and uh, and even just then when you were asking that I was just imagine imagining you know doing a terrible comedy gig and then having a microphone shoved in my face where do you think you went wrong that wouldn't be fun that would not be fun <laughs> I think to that point Danny I mean like if you look at Naomi's position the thing that people is probably don't understand is that she's carrying the weight of you know not only her own individual performance but the people that you know she employs the people that work with her the country she represents the town the tennis club like there's a thousand things that are on the weight of her shoulders. And, you know, individual sports like tennis in many ways are even more difficult than team sports in terms of personal responsibility. And I think the weight of all of that must be extraordinarily uh, extraordinarily challenging for her to deal with. And, and if you add in the layer of the fact that, you know, media personalities are there to disrupt you in many ways because that's where interesting takes come from. And, you know, within the Australian landscape, I've been critical in the past of piling on players, and I think that's something that needs to change. Um, But then, you know, from a personal point of view, the responsibility of the athletes is to try and insulate yourself in some way. And, you know, I think Naomi's approach of saying, look, I'm happy to pay the fine and I'm not going to do this media stuff, you know, potentially is something that will happen more often. And then that's how you change the landscape of the questions that get asked because if you don't make yourself available to those sort of questions then you know perhaps that's going to have a positive effect on the way that the questions that are asked um, are delivered what questions would you like to be asked after a loss i think he's asking you ali because i don't play footy oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm asking both of you just putting yourself like what would be a, a nice a, a nice question what's it that's a good question. What's your favourite movie? <laughs> <laughs> what what chocolate no. are you going to pick up on the way home? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good might one. Be a good one. I, I think I think the thing with the questions the media asks is like ask a question that has an answer answer that's interesting. Like don't ask the question like oh like how do you feel about today's loss? Obviously not good. We didn't come in to lose. Yeah. I mean the questions that I always am interested by is like okay look so it wasn't the result that you know, you obviously were after today. 
What do you think of the key takeaways from today's loss that you can improve on next week? Like that's what oh, people want to hear about, right? Like yeah. you can answer that question. That's not a vindictive or abrasive question to ask an athlete who's super um, considerate and um, and caring about their own personal performance and the team's performance. And I think that's the insight that you know fans more broadly want to know because like that that guy who had a go at me and or not had a go at me, but asking, oh, what's what's going on at the dogs? Well, the answer to the question should be. Oh, what do you think the dogs are getting wrong at the moment? Or what do you think they can improve on? Or like, give us an answer that actually might provide some insight that's different to the takeaway of like, oh yeah, geez, it's obviously not the result you wanted. Like, how bad was that loss? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And even as a footy fan, I would I would rather those those sorts of questions because yeah, they it is always like you know how how do you feel? You know how how much jubilation was there? It's just the same things yeah. over and over. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Ellie some proper questions now these are uh we've got a couple of comments first of all uh barry webster just says you're an absolute superstar but you know i'll pass it on uh also (laughs) the uh the cameron uh cameron the uh kingbra uh, cameron or Haley, i'm not sure who was getting in touch but the kingbra tigers we're going to have you down at Hobart uh, this weekend, but COVID's put the paid to it. But they want you to know they're, uh, they they just love you and they're very excited to, for you to bring come down. Oh, that's good to know. I'm looking forward to All heading right. down that's, there. That's enough comments. Let's go a hard question. All right. Uh, Joey wants to know, uh, he's another older bloke like me, it's one, and I agree with this. One of the favourite things about AFLW is getting to go to the old grounds that we grew up watching footy apps. Which ground do you love playing at the most? I mean, Witten Oval's probably the answer there. So which are the other grounds, like Vic Park, Optus O, uh, whatever Carlton's one's called, Princess Park? <laughs> Icon. <laughs> what, what, where do you like playing? Well, obviously, yeah. Um, Witten Oval is, a, is my favourite, um, hands down. I think the other venue I've, I've enjoyed playing at the last couple of years is down at Moorabbin at RSEA Park there. Um, they create a really great atmosphere um, and as a youngster growing up, I was a Saints fan. So I think for me, I, I went down there a little ah. bit. Um, I don't think I really got to watch footy as such down there but um, definitely had some family days down there that have some great memories of and um, being back at there is, yeah, it's nice. It's nice playing footy at uh, Moorabbin. What about round one this year where the free kick count was like 30 oh, to 1? Don't what start was, me. How do you... Yeah, oh man, Dory, I, I, I was fuming. I was <laughs> raging there on the wing. Uh, it was what was what was with that? Oh, I don't know. And boy, oh boy, was that annoying. After, I mean, to be <laughs> honest, I, I I didn't really realize during the game. I mean, I knew there was a couple of iffy free kicks that may have happened, but that's the case every game. Everyone thinks the exact same thing. I think when I walked off the field and someone mentioned it to me I was just mind blown from it so yeah that was annoying thanks for bringing that one up (laughs) (laughs) a question we always ask um who do you think should have won the 2016 Norm Smith medal uh the great man sitting here I was there I loved it that was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life was that grand final so had you been signed by the Bulldogs yet yeah, okay, cool. just been signed. Um, so it was only Katie and I that were on the list at that point in time and um, we went to the footy together that day and it was, yeah, it was remarkable. What else we got, Danny? 
Uh, we also have, also, I just want to point, um, you might not know this, or listeners might not know this unless they're proper footy nerds like me, but Ellie Blackburn was a thorn in the Bulldogs' side for many years because up until uh, you were signed for the Bulldogs, you always played for Melbourne in the Hampson Hardeman Cup and used to bloody dominate us, which was really frustrating. <laughs> I did play for Melbourne uh, for a handful of years in the uh, Hanson Hardeman Cup games, so... Yeah, I had never lost one of those, like, when they were official games. I was the only player that had actually never lost a game because we won all of them with Melbourne. And then in the last game we won when I was playing for the Bulldogs. So it was a great yes, track record Yes, undefeated. It was good. We, we won't it hold good. it against you. Yeah. <laughs> and a final question. This is from uh, Tessa, who's a big fan of the pod. Uh, she wants to know, Who's your favourite Boyd down at Whitnova? <laughs> She's given me a tough choice there, Tessa. Um, obviously, playing with her was good, so I left her. Uh, so, for those her. who don't know, Tessa is Tom's sister. Who did she, did she actually play again? I oh, know she was. She, no. she definitely no, no, never played for the play dogs, game. but was part of the squad. She, yeah. she played yeah. a couple of VFL games, I think. And yeah. uh, she tells me about this glorious day at uh, Olympic Park, I think, where she kicked two goals against Collingwood or something. But that was it. That was all she wrote. <laughs> Is that, that's pretty standard for a boy, just have one good game for the dogs. That's right. I just spread it out over a few more years. But, she, um, yeah, she's much the same, cut from the same cloth. <laughs> well, Ellie, it has been brilliant to have you on. Is there anything we should play? Everyone should obviously go down to the pancake parlour. Yeah, head down to the Pancake <laughs> Parlour and support the uh, the local businesses. We are very excited to see you play. Uh, so when is it? December it starts, yeah. does it? Yeah, early December we start. So looking forward to round one. Yeah, we get down to uh, Wittenover. By then we'll all be vaccinated. We can just uh, all just get there, scream our lungs out, cheering on the uh, the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, just make out with a stranger. We'll we'll all be safe there. We'll just embrace <laughs> as Ellie kicks the winning goal. It'll just be a glorious time. Looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us on, Danny. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate you having me on. I'm on my own. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by 8 Star Energy, creating energy for the future and power you can count on. Follow them on Facebook at 8 Star Energy. There's a grinding and a grooving when I go Fast way